Based on an Indian folktale recorded by the Reverend Labahari Day, this story follows a husband whose domestically challenged bride mysteriously turns into the perfect housewife, but at what cost? If you enjoy this episode and want to hear more like it, follow Haunted Places Ghost Stories free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Binge the episodes you've missed before catching all new episodes every Thursday. The following episode contains descriptions of body horror and confined spaces. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Here is an excerpt from A Ghostly Wife by Lal Bahari Day. One day, the old woman knew that there was no fire in the house, and she knew also that her daughter-in-law had not gone out of doors to get it. And yet, strange to say, the hearth and the kitchen room was quite in a blaze. She went in and, to her infinite surprise, found that her daughter-in-law was not using any fuel for cooking, but had thrust into the oven her foot, which was blazing brightly. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the swamps of Bangladesh. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Each week, Ghost Stories reimagines chilling paranormal tales from history's most sinister storytellers, told like you've never heard them before. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's tale comes from the Bengali answer to the Brothers Grimm. In 1883, Lal Bihari Day, a Christian missionary and professor of literature, published a collection of 22 folktales from his home region of Bengal in northeastern India. The stories explored the intersection between the supernatural and the everyday. A ghostly wife tells the story of what happens when a spirit's visit exposes the cracks in a young marriage and reveals the horrors of domestic life. Coming up, we'll enter a troubled Bengali home. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'll be telling this tale from the perspective of a man named Ashok, a member of the highest class in the Indian caste system known as Brahmins. Though Lal Bihari Day transcribed these tales in the 19th century, they are far older, and as such, I will be taking you back to 17th century Bengal. British occupation was a century away, and at this time, Bengal was described as a paradise among nations. It was world-renowned for its textiles, silk, and shipbuilding, and Brahmins had some of the highest living standards in the world. But their stately homes were still surrounded by jungle, and there were more than just tigers lurking within those trees. My wife Ruma's beauty has always outshone the moon. Her skin is as brown as fertile soil, and her laugh is ugly and silly and perfect. She is resplendent, and she is loving and she is kind, but I struggle to see her as she is. Time will heal this, as it heals all such troubles, but I can't forget what happened to her. In the early days of our marriage, I was so preoccupied by her beauty that I neglected to know her. Maybe if I'd spent more time with her in those first few months, I would have noticed something was wrong sooner. Maybe I could have helped her before my dream marriage turned into a nightmare. Several years ago, my family set out to find me a suitable bride. My mother worried that if left to my own devices, I would pick a woman solely for her looks and not the help she could bring to the family. I disagreed with her at the time, but looking back, I can see that she was right. One of my options was Ruma, whose eyes stole my breath away. Deep brown and veiled with dark lashes, there was a smile within them that only belonged to her. She kept her gaze to the floor during that first conversation, but I did everything I could to make her look at me. If I said something outlandish enough, her eyes would flit to mine to see if I was serious. In those small moments, we found a place for each other in our hearts. My mother was less enamored. She whispered, The mulo pour she made was inedible. Do you want our kitchen to be doomed? But I would not be dissuaded. As the firstborn son, I had been put in charge of our family home after my father's death, and my mother was to guide my wife through her first months as a housewife. I knew she worried about training a novice, but I confess that it did not matter much to me. I was too smitten with rumor, and since she was from a good family, my mother could not eliminate her. We married on an auspicious day. Both family priests said the stars were in perfect alignment for us. I told my mother that my heart had sound judgment. She didn't agree. She conceded that a wedding date forged by the hands of destiny was important, but it was not the sole foundation of a marriage. After the celebration, when the guests went home, 
Ruma and I settled in to truly speak together for the first time. Her voice was even more beautiful than her face. I helped her remove her jewelry and brush her hair. I confessed my mother's fear, hoping to play it as a joke and assure Ruma that she had my support in all matters. Oh, a shock, she said, her cheeks flushing. I can certainly learn to love you, but I fear your household may be a lost cause. It was true that Ruma burned every roti she cooked and moved dust about the floor instead of cleaning it up. I offered to hire more servants to help, but my mother refused. She took on the task of teaching her, and Ruma agreed to try. But Ruma never quite learned, and for five years I ate overcooked mutton and undercooked rice with a smile on my face. I loved her, and the matters of the house were her and my mother's business, not mine. Then, several weeks ago, things began to change. One day, Ruma made a pile of roti for lunch. None of them were burnt. Then, at dinner, we had the best biryani I'd ever eaten. I was overjoyed. Something had clicked for Ruma, and now she understood her way around the house. I asked my mother how Ruma had transformed overnight. My mother shook her head, as stunned as I was. She told me that Ruma had asked her to leave the kitchen when she cooked. I suppose that a little solitude had given her the confidence to succeed. Soon, our home sparkled. The wood furniture was oiled until it gleamed, and we had a true feast every night. I'd always found my wife's harried nature charming, but now she glided around the house, hair perfect and sari pristine, even after scrubbing, and the smiles she had kept only for me were now offered to everyone, always beaming a little too bright to feel entirely real. I was happy for Ruma's newfound pride and confidence, but there was one change in her that I didn't like. When it came to intimate matters, my beautiful wife suddenly grew distant. We'd shared a bed for years but now she wanted a space of her own. I woke up one night to a cold bedside and found her sleeping on the floor in another room. I asked my mother if she had said something to Rumor to upset her, something she might be afraid to repeat to me. My mother insisted that she'd done nothing. One by one, Rumor sent the servants away, claiming that our home was crowded and she could do all of their duties. In her haste to do everything, I saw her less. Those quiet moments that had solidified our bond began to disappear. I confessed my fears to my mother, who reminded me to accept our blessings. The house was well kept. We ate delicious meals. We were saving money with fewer servants. There was so much to give thanks for. Then, an awful smell cut our conversation short. The smell of burning flesh. When my father died, I had been the one to bring the torch to his wrapped body. This smell was similar, but there was a sourness to it I had never encountered. I ran along the corridor, cursing our house for being so large and spread out. I saw plumes of smoke waft through the cracks in the kitchen door. My heart thundered and I screamed for my wife but she did not answer. The worst thoughts raced through my mind, 
I was not ready to bury her. We were destined to be together. We had seven lifetimes to spend, yes, but this one could not be cut short so early. The wood burned my hands as I pushed open the doors and burst into the kitchen. The room was clouded in smoke. I searched around in the space and felt my hand graze a still shape on the ground. I instantly recognized Rumor's delicate hand. My heart sank, but I would not be stopped. I closed my hand around hers and pulled her through the door toward the clear light of day in the hall. But when the sun struck our intertwined fingers, what I saw didn't make sense. I was holding a hand, but the wrist stretched through the darkness and back into the hazy kitchen. I had pulled my wife at least three body lengths, and yet all I could see was her arm. Her impossibly long arm. A coughing fit sent me to the ground. I scratched at my eyes as I coughed up bits of ash. When the fit abated, I told myself that I must have been driven mad by the smoke. I could not have seen my wife's arm stretching across an entire room. Only spirits could do such things. I looked up into the kitchen where I could see the smoke was beginning to subside. I rushed inside, only to find Rumor was sitting near the fire, humming to herself, her arms the same size as they'd always been. I was about to ask her what happened when the remaining smoke seemed to lift, just in time to give me an answer. One of our last servants had been stuffed into the hearth. Patches of bone stuck through Ranvir's charred skin, and one lifeless eye looked at me in judgment. My voice shook with shock and rage. Why have you done this? Rumor's eyes met mine. She was the picture of innocence with a soft smile on her lips. Oh, a shock. I only did it because I was so cold. She did look pale, almost white. Her breath came in a wheezing whistle. Her shivering skin rustled like the ivory fabric of a shroud. I stammered, We live in the jungle. We are surrounded by kindling for a fire. I did not like the twinkle that came to her eyes as she studied me. She said, Humans make for a much more interesting fire. She blinked at me again through her perfect lashes and placed her ashen foot into the hearth. The flames danced over her toes as she blew me a kiss. I lurched backwards so quickly I hit the wall. This was not rumor. The thing that wasn't my wife sighed. A shock. You only see what you want to see. The jungle is dangerous. You wouldn't want your wife wandering between the banyan trees. She smiled, eyes glittering. You never know what could happen to her. Guilt washed over me as I understood. My wife had been taken from me by a spirit and I had not known it. And now, I had to get her back.
Up next, Ashok must fight the creature who's taken his wife before it's too late. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The fire crackled as it lapped at the spirit rumor's toes. Her eyes were impassive, unconcerned. Whatever had taken Rumor's form had no interest in maintaining it. I did not know what exactly had replaced her, but I had my suspicions. My mother had told me stories of ghosts lurking in the jungle. Ones who could masquerade as human, identified only by their pale skin, unnaturally stretching limbs, and strange, thin voices. I hated how much the thing reminded me of my beloved, This being had stolen so much from her, and I let it happen. I wiped my brow, all too aware of the source of the room's heat. The spirit removed her foot from the fire. Then it stood and placed a hand on my cheek, holding my gaze. There was a softness in its eyes that reminded me so much of my first meeting with Rumor. My voice quivered as I spoke. Your foot but she shushed me. You must lay down, darling Ashok. The smoke has gone to your head. I tried to look over at the hearth, but she held my head in place and moved closer. Her smooth brown skin was back. Her voice was breathy, but perhaps she had a cold. Maybe it was rumor, and I was a terrible husband for doubting her. I had to collect myself before telling my mother what had happened, or what I thought had happened. To my surprise, mother did not cry or scream or doubt me. Whatever frustration she had with rumor had no place in a crisis. She told me to wait while she called on an Oja, a healer and exorcist who would help us learn the truth. If it was rumor, then we would work as a family to take better care of her. If it was not rumor, he would banish the imposter. The pair of spectacles that balanced on his nose made Vinod look more like a professor than an exorcist. He wasn't what I expected, and he seemed to sense my discomfort. Soon after arriving for our meeting, he pulled a small jar from his pocket and told me that this was all we needed to figure out the truth about rumor. The jar was packed with yellow-orange powder but I didn't know what it was. Vinod said the process would not be easy. The creature that had taken Rumor's form would say anything to free herself from the pain of banishment, but we had to stay true to the plan. The possibility of causing my Rumor more pain frayed my nerves. However, if I wanted any peace, I knew I had to do it. I had to know who this woman was. I approached the spirit rumor in the kitchen and slipped my hand into hers. She jumped from the touch. A second later, she seemed to remember herself, turning her head to smile at me. 
We walked along the corridor hand in hand. When we reached the bedroom door, I asked her if she trusted me. Always, my love, she said. As soon as I led the spirit rumor into the room, Vinod wrestled her to the floor. I reached for the rope I'd laid just inside the doorway and began to bind her hands together. Her fingers lengthened in front of me, forearms stretching as she clawed to be free. It hadn't been a nightmare. A ghost had taken my wife. I offered a hail of apologies as I tied her to the bedpost. Vinod pulled the jar of yellow powder from his pocket, unscrewed the lid, and placed it on my bedside table. I focused on his actions as I tried to block out the unbearable screams. The spirit rumor called me horrible names, and I could not fault her for it. What was I doing? Vinod struck a match and threw it in the jar. I realized why the color looked so familiar as the smell of burning turmeric filled the room. I missed that scent, once so familiar in our kitchen. I missed the way Rumor burned everything she tried to make. There was so much pride on her face when I ate each singed creation. I was ripped from my reverie as the spirit screamed, rolling in agony as she pulled against her bonds. On instinct, I ran to free her. But then, I saw that her features were shifting as though her face couldn't decide what shape it should be. Her chin grew several feet, then shrank up to her nose. Her eyes were tossed on a sea of flesh. Her cheeks flattened, then grew into points. I had never seen anything like it. I looked to Vinod for answers. He nodded. Your suspicions were correct, Ashok. This is Ashok Chuni. You can tell by the way she suffers. Her body can't remember how to hold the shape of your wife. This is the turmeric's doing. It confuses the spirit. I knew of Shukchuni from my mother's stories. They were vengeful, angry spirits tied to trees in the jungle. All it would take was an accidental brush of my wife's gentle fingers along the trunk to draw the creature's wrath. It would bind her in the hollow of its tree, pull on her clothes, and leave her to slowly die. And I had let it happen. For days I'd been living with a spirit. Even when the proof had been in front of me, I had reasoned it away. I was not the man my wife deserved. The spirit's screams echoed around us. I couldn't look at her anymore. I struggled to keep my voice measured as I spoke. Where? is my wife. Several voices screamed an answer back in unison. I am your wife now! Vinod picked up the glass jar and sprinkled its burning contents onto the spirit. Her flesh bubbled away, revealing nothing underneath. There were no bones or tendons. Each speck of turmeric was making her disappear. I grabbed the jar from Vinod, but he insisted. A shock, you mustn't give in. She will say anything to hold this shape. A house like yours is a far better life for a shock chuni than a banyan tree. I couldn't stifle my panicked laugh. Who would want a life with a careless husband like me? 
I held the jar up before the creature's face, studying my wife's distorted features as I spoke. I will make the pain stop, and I will not hurt you further, but you must tell me where my wife is. Tell me what happened. The screams stopped. The altered version of Rumor looked at me with absurdly large eyes and hissed. She touched me. She should have known not to touch me. I threw more turmeric at her face. The creature screamed. I am a better wife, Ashok. You know it to be true. I threw more burning powder at her face. The creature sputtered and shook with a defeated look in its eyes before telling me, There is a banyan tree with a knot like a bow. There, you will find your good-for-nothing rumor. Now release me. I thrust the jar back into Vinod's hands, ordering him to free the shock chuni. Then I rushed out of the house and into the courtyard, where my axe was lodged in a wooden stump. I grabbed it and took off into the jungle. The tree must be close to our house, otherwise the spirit would not know the way. I ran in circles, screaming for the trapped rumor to hear me, to forgive me. I promised I would spend the rest of our lives making it up to her. No answer came, but I kept looking. I stumbled over winding roots and banged my head against the knot of an ancient tree. I rubbed my neck, trying to keep tears from my eyes. But then I squinted at the offending trunk. There was a bow on the knot, just barely visible to the eye. I pressed my ear to the banyan tree, calling Rumor's name. I willed all the jungle sounds to cease so I could listen for my love's voice. Finally, I heard a scream behind it. Rumor. I lifted the axe high and brought it down. Bark exploded around me as I pounded at the banyan. Soon, I'd made a crack large enough to peer inside. I was horrified to see one brown eye staring back at me from within the wood. Desperation urged me on. I dropped my axe and began tearing at the hole with my hands. I would never forgive myself if I killed Rumor while trying to get her out. Soon, the hole was big enough for her to place her cracked, bloody lips against it. She took a gulp of air, whimpering my name. Tears blurred my vision, but I would not stop to wipe them away. I tore at the brittle interior of the tree, widening the gap enough to pull Rumor through. I opened my arms to her, but she would not come. I pleaded, Rumor, please, it's me. She swallowed and tried to step forward. It was only then that I noticed how weak she'd become. Her limbs, once elegant, were little more than bones, and her beautiful eyes had sunken into her face, as if the shock chuni had sucked the life from her. Rumor clung to me as I lifted her out of the tree. Her voice trembled as she tried to explain. I was only looking for kindling. I didn't want to trouble Ramvir. Tears filled my eyes. I couldn't bring myself to tell her our late servant's horrible fate. She struggled to finish. It was so dark 
and I was so frightened. I must have brushed the spirit's tree in my haste. Then she pulled me in, and somehow it got even darker. She squeezed me and fell silent. I could not imagine the horrors she had experienced, locked in that bark, screaming in the darkness. I carried Rumor to my mother's bed and watched over her. I only returned to Vinod when she was sleeping soundly. He told me he had vanquished the spirit. All that remained of the monster was a pile of dead leaves and burnt turmeric. My mother and I sat by rumor for days, making sure every care was offered to her. Now she is well, but each time I look at her, I feel overwhelmed by a strange mix of love and guilt. She says she forgives me. I believe her, but I cannot forgive myself. For the most part, our life goes on, but there is one difference that still keeps me up at night. I pulled Rumor from the tree myself. Therefore, I know that she is my wife. She must be. So why has she not burned a single roti since she's returned? A Ghostly Wife is the 14th tale in Lal Bihari Day's collection of oral stories known as Folk Tales of Bengal. The book was published to great acclaim in 1883 and earned an even wider audience with the addition of illustrations by Warwick Goebel in 1912, 18 years after the author's death. Lal Bihari Day was born in Sonapalashi in West Bengal in 1824. The inspiration for his journey into his region's folk history came after a captain from the Bengal Staff Corps sent him a letter after reading his book, Peasant Life in Bengal. The captain suggested that Day expand the book's section on oral storytelling into its own collection. In his preface, Day says he wanted to capture the old, old stories told by old Bengali women from age to age through a hundred generations. He gathered the tales from local people then translated them from Bengali into English. Claims of possession by ghosts are still a documented phenomenon in India today, particularly in rural regions. Some mental health experts theorize that when such claims are made by women, it's because they lack agency and wish to demand attention. Others suggest that women's isolation makes them particularly susceptible to the machinations of spirits. In Bengal, a ghost may latch onto you after a glancing touch of a banyan tree or a quick breath on a dark road as you return from the market. But what attracts these ghosts to a particular person? Fear, of course. And who is more afraid than a shy, struggling housewife trying to please her family? A ghostly wife reminds us that sometimes domestic bliss has a demonic cost. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. 
we will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Dorita and Jennifer Rache, with writing assistance by Alex Garland. I'm Alastair Murden. Mm-hmm.